Good morning, church. It's good to be here this morning. We are going to be studying in Matthew chapter 24 this morning, but before we get there, we're going to be looking at our scripture reading. The topic, the title of our, of our message this morning from God's word is God's prophetic alarm clock. God's prophetic alarm clock. And our scripture reading is found in Romans 13 and verse 11. Let's just read those words before we start. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And that, knowing the time, that it is high time to rise or awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. You know, sometimes you can read verses from the word of God and they don't really need much explanation. (laughs) You just read the verse and you're thinking, that really makes sense. I don't really feel the need to, to explain or expound upon these words. I just feel like we should, well, we should pray and we should get right into our study. So let's pray again together as we open up God's word. Father in heaven, I want to thank you again for the opportunity we have to be in your presence. I want to thank you for your word that you vouchsafed to us, that you protected I want to thank you for the Holy Spirit that you promised to send, to guide us, to lead us, to instruct us, to convict us, to comfort us. And Father, we pray for a blessing now as we have gathered together here, as we have read a verse that reminds us of the time in which we live, and as we recognize our need of you individually and collectively. Be with us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting, isn't it, how waking up with an alarm clock is different for different people. You know, some people will wake up before the alarm goes off. I always set an alarm, and most of the time I wake up before it goes off. My wife really appreciates that. She doesn't like it if I don't wake up and I hit the snooze button. You know, some of us, we hit the snooze button. We're snooze, 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 right? (laughs) Waiting to the very last minute. And then some of us, we don't even need an alarm clock. Aren't there some of us like that? How many people, you don't even need an alarm. You just wake up. You just wake up. I'm working on that. Reese. (laughs) You know, I think it's interesting here in the Bible that this verse appears to be addressing the snooze, snooze, snooze people. Have you noticed that? I'm supposed to look over to the right at this point in the sermon, but I don't know. The snooze, snooze, snooze people, right? It says that knowing the time, okay, knowing the time, that snooze button, hey, do you know what the time is? Honey, honey, do you know what the time is? Okay, that it's high time, honey, it's time, you put the snooze, it's time to wake up, it's time to wake up, that's the second snooze hit. Honey, it's nearer than when we first believed, you only got a few minutes left if you're gonna get to 3ABN on time, right? Our salvation, I believe, is nearer than when we first believed. Can you speak that word with me this morning? It's nearer than when we first believed. See, that's God speak. That's the word of God. And we can go ahead and let the word of God in. You know, we let the news in, right? We let the media in. Well, we need to let the word of God in because the word of God has to balance out and even obliterate all the stuff we're receiving from the world. The word of God has to come in. And it has to tell us, it has to communicate us, you know, my coming, my second coming, my return, my reunion with you, my homecoming is nearer than when you first believed. You know, I've been a Bible-believing, prophecy-studying, salvation-sharing, born-again Christian for 37 years now. And at this point in time in my life, I can agree with the Apostle Paul I can agree with this verse in Romans. I believe that our salvation, as never before, is nearer than when I first believed. God, God, and his people are going to be rejoined together very, very soon. And so God's people need a wake-up call. You know, Jesus explained this in the parable of Matthew chapter 25. Let's just open our Bibles there. We're in Matthew 24 and 25. We're gonna look at 25 first. Some interesting verses here that we want to read. Matthew chapter 25. And we're gonna start in Matthew 25 with verse one. 
Jesus Christ uses an interesting word to start off this chapter. It's the word then, then. So it implies what he's just been talking about. We'll get to that in a minute. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And verse two says, five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Verse three, then they that were foolish, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, that is extra oil with them. Verse four, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So the wise had extra oil. And then in verse five it says, and while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. What does that verse say? How many of them slumbered and slept? Does it say seven of them slumbered and slept? Eight, nine, what does the word of God say? All of them slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom comes, go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose. We'll stop right there. All those virgins arose when they heard the cry. You know, Jesus is telling us that this parable represents the church. It represents his people. And he says, all of us are asleep. Not seven, not eight, not nine. All of us are sleeping. So my question this morning is, if we're all sleeping, who wakes us up? (laughs) It says there was a call made, right? There was a call made. Wake up. Behold, the bridegroom comes. So who wakes us up? You know, I think a lot of us are tired. A lot of us are overwhelmed. A lot of us asleep because because we are just, you know how it is when you have a rough week, when you have a rough month, when you have a rough year, it wears you out. I think a lot of us are just tired because of the conflicts that we've been facing in 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 this nation, in this world, in our community. We're tired, we're worn out. And it's difficult for us to be awake, to be alert, to be focused. There's different ways that we sleep. You know, sometimes I take naps. I'm not really asleep asleep. I'm actually awake awake, but I'm not actually in the moment. Too often we do that in church. It's been a long week. It's been a busy week. We've been pushing it to the very edge. We come to church and we catch up. And somehow people that sleep in church think it's my job to keep them awake. Oh, pastor, that was such a good sermon. I usually sleep in church, but that kept me awake. (laughs) No. You're sleeping on God's time, not my time. You're sleeping on God's time, his word communicating to us. And the person that's putting you asleep is not your guardian angel. Right, Eric? It's not your guardian angel. The person that's putting you to sleep is the enemy of souls. So when we're tired, when we've had a rough night, when it's been a tough week, when it's been a tough month, a tough year, anxiety can wear us out. Depression can wear us out. It keeps us down. It keeps us in bed, not wanting to wake up, not wanting to get up. We don't want any more bad news because we feel wiped out already. You ever feel that way? You're just like done, just done, like you want to give up. So what wakes up the church? That's what we ask. What wakes up the church? We wake up because we hear a voice, a voice that tells us that Jesus is coming. We wake up, even though we're all slumbering and sleeping, because that voice is crystal clear. Do you hear it? It's almost time for the Lord to come. That's the voice. It's not my voice. It's not the voice of the church. It's the voice of the word of God. And it strikes the conscience. It speaks to us individually. Conscience is the voice of God speaking amid all the hustle and bustle of the world. So there's something outside the church that wakes them up. Now we can get really practical with this because really we have a direct connection here between Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Jesus says in Matthew 25 verse one, then 
then shall the kingdom of heaven be like unto ten virgins. So obviously there's a connection with Matthew chapter 24, and Matthew chapter 24 happens to be a full revelation of the signs of the times that we are to look for just before the return of Jesus Christ. And so obviously, I think, if we think about this, the thing that wakes us up, the thing that is waking us up right now are the signs of the times in Matthew 24. Would you agree with that? We are seeing these signs being fulfilled in an unprecedented manner. You know, I love Matthew 24. It's one of my favorite chapters because I'm a Revelation guy. Matthew 24 is just an addendum to the book of Revelation along with Luke 21 and Mark 13. Matthew 24 is where Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, focuses on the same truths we find in Revelation. And it helps us. Matthew 24 helps us to understand Revelation. And one of the amazing things about the book of Revelation is how it starts. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that. Because see, we as Sadventists, we as people who are inundated with the media, and with all of the other voices, religious voices, sometimes are inclined to think that the book of Revelation is the revelation of the beast. That the book of Revelation is the revelation of the Antichrist. That the book of Revelation is the revelation of all of the plagues and judgments and negative things that are coming on this earth. And so God wanted to make it crystal clear right from the very beginning. He said, this is, I'm going to put my stamp on it, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not just a revelation from him, but a revelation of him. All through the book of Revelation, you're going to find the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. Even in Revelation chapter 13, Shelley Quinn will like this reference in verse 8, one of her favorites, right? Even in the very midst of the final conflict of the mark of the beast, we have this picture of the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. And you know why we have that picture? Because that's our only hope. Jesus on the cross, that's our only hope. He has, God has to put it in there. When the whole world is submitting, when the whole world is following, when the whole world is receiving, when the whole world is worshiping, earthly powers, that's what B saw, Right? Earthly powers. You know, we say, well, you know, people are going to worship the beast. Well, a beast is symbolic of an earthly power. So once you get the definition in there, let's just transition to the earthly power. People get all confused and they're looking for some terrible beast, you know. No, no, no. This is an earthly power. It's an earthly kingdom. It's very clear. It's very simple. The world is going to be worshiping the powers of this world. And God is calling us to worship the lamb who died on Calvary's cross for each one of us. Well, Matthew chapter 24 does the same thing. It starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. You know, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus has just left the temple. In verse 37, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often I would have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings and you would not. What is Jesus talking about there? This is the Jewish nation. They're the people of God. They got the temple to prove it. They got the structures. They got the organization. They're set up. They've got the word of God. They're God's people. These are God's people. And Jesus says, you don't have a relationship with me. You've got buildings. You've got structure. You've got ceremonies. You've got truth. But you don't have a relationship. You don't have relationship. And I wanted you to come to me and I wanted you to connect with me. I wanted to cover you with my wings, with my feathers. I wanted to have this, this relationship where I protect you in all things. And you wouldn't. You wouldn't do it. You were, you were fine with just going to church, just sitting in the pew, nice comfortable seats. You've got distance nowadays. You know, you feel safe. You're not all crowded together. You feel comfortable just paying your tithe. You feel comfortable just saying, I'm a seven-day Adventist. I believe the truth. You feel comfortable with all that. But that relationship with Jesus was missing. 
And when that relationship with Jesus is missing, as you step into trial, as you step into conflict, as life comes at you, Christ isn't going to be seen. That's what we saw in the religious leaders of Christ's day. They were hypocrites, legalists, persecuting Christ, persecuting his followers. And then he leaves the temple. He says, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Verse 39, he says, for I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. What's that verse referring to, that last verse? Second coming of Jesus. So we know right now, we're on track right now as we move into Matthew 24. We're talking about the second coming of Jesus, right? That's the context as we move into Matthew 24. Because some people think, oh, Matthew 24, it's just talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. No, it's a parallel prophecy. It's unique. Daniel doesn't do this. Revelation doesn't do this. Daniel and Revelation go all the way through. They're cyclical prophecies. They repeat and enlarge, but they're cyclical. They, go th- they start at one point, go all the way through the end. Start at one point, go all the way through. Matthew 24 doesn't do that. Matthew 24 begins with this bit about the destruction of Jerusalem. Then it stops, it ends, and then we go back. Before we even finish the whole thing, we go back and we talk about the signs of the second coming of Jesus. Well, guess what? The destruction of Jerusalem took place in AD 70, so now we're on the second coming of Jesus. That's where we are right now. So as we step into this, Jesus wants to talk to us about the second coming. Now he's just told his church, his denomination that has the structure, the temple, he just told them, you don't have connection with me. And he leaves. And he goes across to the Mount of Olives after he leaves the temples. And it says in verse one of chapter 24, and, the, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him all the buildings of the temple. I think we're still there, friends. You know, I think we're still there. We're just, we're looking at the temple. We're looking at the buildings of the temple. Look at our institutions. Look at our churches. Look at our schools. Look at our hospitals. Look at all this. God must be with us. Is he with us? Because if he's with us, there's connection. If he's with us, there's individual connection. It's not the buildings that prove that Jesus is with us, right? It's not the structures that prove that Jesus is, if he's with us, there are people that are connecting with Jesus. And when God calls other people into these buildings, into this structure, they don't impress with the structure and the buildings and and all that we're doing. They're impressed with the people because these people are like Jesus. They're connected with Jesus. And so he says, continuing on, as the disciples are pointing to the buildings, Jesus says unto them, See you not all these things, all this stuff? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now remember, this already happened for the Jews, so now we're going back, right? All of this is for us. Did you know that? Did you know that the structures are coming down? (laughs) We can't trust in the buildings. The early church had to meet in home churches. The religious system of Christ's day became so connected to and so entwined with the government, the Romans were invested in the temple. When the Jews gave up on it, they tried to save it. We gotta remember this history because this is where we're heading. The bottom line is we're occupying until Jesus comes and it's great to have these structures here at 3ABN. It's great to have our churches here and all over the world. But if we lose those, we're still God's people. If we lose those, we still have Jesus. If everything we are and everything we have is identified with the structure, we're in big trouble down the road. And so God is saying, Jesus is saying to us right near, you see all this stuff, it's all gonna fall. Not one stone is gonna be left upon another that won't be thrown down. And this shocks the disciples, they're shocked. They're literally shocked because they, they're, they're just like, but, but wait a minute. I mean, to the Jewish mind, the temple was everything. It was the indication of God's blessing. And they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, how can this be? And so you know what they do? Now this is key because remember, we've been talking about the revelation of who? 
Jesus. Not the revelation of the destruction of Jerusalem, not the revelation of the destruction of our churches and our buildings and the loss of all the, the outward things. We're talking about the revelation of Jesus. So when you come to a crisis, when you face something that seems overwhelming in your mind, you just can't even comprehend it, that's when you've got to do what the disciples did. Notice what the disciples did as they respond to Christ. It's in verse 3. This is the most important verse in the entire chapter of Matthew chapter 24. And perhaps you've never known that. Perhaps you've never realized that. Perhaps you just kind of skipped over it, you know, and you thought, well, you know, we need to get those signs. We need to understand what's coming. <laughs> no, not, not if you don't understand this verse, you don't. Knowing all that stuff that's coming without knowing this, it's going to overwhelm you. Now, some of you are ahead of me. I'm sure you are. Verse 3, let's go to it. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Are you coming to Jesus privately? When you face overwhelming odds, when you feel like everything is going to fall, the whole church structure is going to go. Are you coming to Jesus privately? That's what the disciples did. I call this the Jesus huddle. <laughs> the Jesus huddle. They come to Jesus privately and say, when are these things going to happen? When are these things going to tell me, tell me, tell me, tell us? When are these things going to be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Because to them, the loss of the temple, the loss of the church structure was the end of the world. And so they came to Jesus privately. And they had this huddle. If Jesus were on the earth today and he was giving his sermons, you know, the, 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 the many times when he spoke to the people, he might say something like, you know how he said, the kingdom of God is like a man seeking for treasure. The kingdom of God is like a, a merchant seeking for pearls. And today he might say, you know, the kingdom of God is like a football team. Yeah, because he used the common illustrations of the day so that when people wasted their time watching football, whoops, they might remember, they might think about spiritual things instead of getting all caught up and wasting their time watching 22 people chase pigskin. I think it's really cool that all this stuff is happening in our sports because it's kind of turning us off, you know? And we need to take advantage of that. I'm, I'm a sports guy, man. I mean, just, I like football a lot. But I don't watch it anymore. It's just a waste of time. We need to be in the Word of God. So I want to encourage you out there, if you're watching football, you're into football, perhaps God can use that to remind you of the truths of His Word. The disciples came to Jesus privately. You know, when you get in a football huddle, it's a private thing. No, those defensive, they're not allowed in there, right? It's a private thing. Why is it a private thing? Because the quarterback, the captain, Jesus, is going to tell us the play, right? He's going to tell us the play, which he's gotten from the coach, the father, right? He's going to tell us the play. And we don't want anyone else to know, at least not right now. Not until we execute the plan. Then we want everyone to know. So we come to Jesus privately so we can in receive instruction from him so we can know what we need to do so that soon everyone can know what to do. Everyone can know what's happening, right? So we come to Jesus privately and we're huddling together and he calls out the play. Now I'm kind of new to the football team. I transferred or I'm a rookie or whatever and I've been, I've been looking at the playbook, you know. I've been, I've, been, I've been going through the playbook, Right? The word of God, I've been going through the playbook, but I don't know as many verses as, as Terry here because I'm, I'm a newbie, right? Right, Ian, I'm a newbie. I don't know all the Bible studies and all the verses. I don't know the playbook as well. So when the, when the quarterback calls out the play, I say to him, oh, I don't know that one. And so he spends a little bit more time in the huddle, right, to explain to the newbie how the play works. Why? Why is that important? Friends, don't fake it. Don't pretend you know the playbook. Don't pretend you know the play. Because when you're on a football team, if you're on the front line, 
If you're a receiver, if you're a running back and you're pretending to know the play, it's gonna mess up the whole team. It's gonna mess up the whole team. You're not gonna be blocking who you need to block. You're not gonna be running the route you need to run. You're not gonna be in the position that God wants you to be in. We need to know the playbook. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a football team that knows the playbook. So when the quarterback calls the play, we know where we need to stand. We know the block we need to make. We know the route we need to run. We're there. And there are times, you know, when the enemy's gonna call a blitz. Those are scary times, right? Everyone's coming in. They're all coming in. There may be a time when we lose some yards. There may be a time when we need to punt. But punting is not losing. It's not over yet, you know, because the people that are in charge of the punt are the special teams. God brings in special teams. The special promises, you know, that we need in those times when we feel like things are pretty bad. So we start out Matthew 24, just like we start out the book of Revelation, we start out Matthew 24 focusing on Christ, huddling with Christ, connecting with Christ. Because that's how we learn where we need to be, the position we need to occupy. There are a lot of people out there that are gonna be affected by the next play. There's a lot of people in the stands that are gonna be impacted by the next play. And God wants us in the right position, in the right place, at the right time, according to the playbook. Right now, we're in quarter number one of the football game. And that picks up in Matthew chapter 24, verses four and five. It says here, and we could even say this might be a hockey team because this hockey game because there's three basic sections here, not four quarters, but three. You see, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus Christ warns us first and foremost about being deceived. That's the first thing he says. Read it with me here. And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you for many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive a few. What's that? Many. Many. I'm so glad you're awake this morning. I'm so glad that you're not following everything I say, but you're following what the word of God says. See, because that's the first way that Satan deceives us. You know that. Satan came to Christ and tempted him, and Christ said, it is written. Satan said, hmm, I know what I'll do. It is written. (laughs) What did Christ say? It is written again. We need to be students of the word of God. It's interesting here, that word, I am Christ. You know, we think, oh, that's religious. Well, no, the word itself in the Greek actually means, well, it comes from a root word, um, which means to smear a rub with oil, to consecrate to an office or religious service. In other words, there are people that are coming and they're gonna say, you know what, I have authority. I have religious authority. I have political authority, I have medical authority. This is the first deception. We're in quarter number one. There are three quarters, there are three places where Christ outlines deception, there are three stages. This is stage number one, and I believe we're in stage number one right now. I'll explain that more as we get through this. In fact, we're only going to cover stage number one. I know you're thinking at this point, there's three stages and he's only in stage number one. There's two more after that. How long is he gonna preach? I feel that way too. I don't want to stand up here for hours and hours. So we're only going to cover the first stage. The second stage and the third stage we'll cover at a later time. God leading. Or maybe you can study it. Stage number one is where we are right now in our world. We're in a stage where people are coming to us and they're saying, I have authority. I as it says here, I'm consecrated to an office. I have religious authority, you need to do what I say. I have political authority, you need to do what I say. I have medical authority, you need to do what I say. 
And in that context, as we're in stage number one, as we enter into stage number one, Jesus says, and by the way, stage number two begins in verse 11, and stage number three begins in verse 24. And each one of those stages begins with a warning not to be deceived and then explains what's going to happen. Don't be deceived, here's what's going to happen. Don't be deceived, here's what's going to happen. So right now in stage number one, Jesus is about to explain to us what's going to happen, why it is that it's possible for us to be deceived, and how it is that we could be deceived. He says here in verse six, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Have you heard of wars and rumors of wars? Whew, it's kind of scary when you think about it. I mean, Luke 21 tells us, uses the word terror. Don't be terrified, terrorism. Wars and rumors of wars, though, are not the issue here. There's always been wars and rumors of wars. A lot of times when we look at the signs, we think, oh, wars and rumors of wars, you know, and, and famines and, and earthquakes and natural disasters. These, these signs are all over the place. Surely the Lord is coming soon. But there's something significantly different that's happening today that has never happened before. Not only do we have wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and earthquakes and natural disasters in diverse places, but we have a reaction to these things that is unprecedented. It's not just that the events are happening, the reaction to the events are happening in a way that we've never seen before. Go back to 9-11. We just celebrated 20 years since 9-11, right? At the event of 9-11, the American people and much of the Western world began to lose freedoms in an unprecedented manner that we've never regained. In the context of these signs, Jesus is telling us something very significant. I want to see if you can, if you can catch it. I want to read through the verses. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. See that you be not trouble, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. By the way, some of you who are not reading a King James or a New King James, nothing against other versions of the Bible. I have as many as I can get, but I also have a King James and a New King James. And I want to tell you, you need to have a King James. If you're going to be a serious student of the Bible, you need to have a King James and a New King James in your library. You have to. Well, why, Pastor James? Well, because if you don't, you're going to read this verse that just said there's going to be famines and pestilences, and you're going to say, pestilence? That's not in my Bible. I had a friend come to me at a camp meeting we were doing recently, and he said, you know, I, I, was, I was talking to my pastor about what's going on in the world. You know, pestilence, you know, that's a, that's a disease. That's what that word means, and it's a disease. And I was telling him, you know, all this stuff that's happening, you know, with the COVID and everything, that's a fulfillment, a prophecy right here. And the pastor said to me, that's not in my Bible. That's not in my Bible. See, that's, what's, that, that's what Satan does. He does, he steals the plays. He steals the plays from the play. He, if he knows the play we're going to run, man, boom. He's going to stop us right in our tracks. So he takes the place. That's not in my Bible. Pestilence, disease, is a major sign of the end of time. Now we haven't, let's just, we got to get to where we're going here. And earthquakes, and that is just a, a term that is used for all natural disasters. You know, we got fires, we got floods, we got hurricanes, we just saw earthquakes all over the place, in different places. Right now where we live, I just checked the weather this morning, our health indicator for air is at 156. Here in Thompsonville, it's like 19. That's good. 156 is unhealthy, don't go out. Why? Because there's fires and there's smoke coming around. And of course, we lived in Oregon just a couple years ago, same thing. Washington, same thing. East Coast, Blood. Wish we could get some of that water and mix it with some of this fire over here, you know what I mean? <laughs> get it all together. But we're divided. We've got fire over here and water over here. We're divided. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to come in and he wants to divide. He wants to divide this world. He wants to divide this nation and he wants to divide this church. I wish we had time to talk about that, but we're going to stick to stage number one. Here it is. And there shall be pestilences and earthquakes in different places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. 
Sorrows. You know what sorrows is? Some of your translations will say birth pains. I know what those are like because I was with my wife both times that our children were born. The second time our daughter was born, Reese woke up at two o'clock in the morning. We lived in Malo, Washington. You'll never find that on a map, but it's up by the Canadian border, about 15 miles south. It was January 23, 1998, and there was a snowstorm. You couldn't see the pavement. It was covered. Reese woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Her mom was with us to take care of our son because he was in the house, and she took a warm bath to help, you know, the labor along. And as she got out of that bath and we got ready to go, in the snowstorm, an hour and a half from the hospital, my mother-in-law said to us, don't go. She's going to deliver soon. And we said, ah, first labor was 31 hours. We've got time. And we got in our car. Fortunately, we had Subaru all-wheel drive, snow tires studded to get us to the hospital. Because by the time I got halfway there, just over the pass, my wife said, pull over. I'm going to have this child. (laughs) As I was hyperventilating, seriously, by the time we got to the hospital, my hands were like this when I took them off the steering wheel. I couldn't open them. Her pains increased with intensity and frequency the closer we got to the hospital. Our daughter was born five minutes before we got there, at 425, uh, after we got there. Whew. (laughs) That's a mistake a preacher doesn't want to make. (laughs) At 425 a.m., that's what's taking place right here. Jesus said it's going to be an increase in intensity and an increase in frequency. And it's not only going to be the signs themselves, but our response to the signs. Our response to the signs is going to increase in intensity and frequency. And then, verse 9, follow it with me, then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Guess what? We are here. Stage one, we're here. You know what the word afflicted means? It means to pressure. To pressure. You felt the pressure? I've got friends, doctor friends, medical friends, members, church They're calling me, and they feel the pressure. They're losing their jobs. They feel the pressure. It doesn't matter what side you stand on. The pressure is wrong. Coercion is wrong. The principle itself is from below. It's a satanic principle, and it is preparing this world for what we see in Revelation chapter 13. And we're not, we're, not, we're not there yet. This is not the mark of the beast, please. But it is a dress rehearsal. That's what Jesus is telling us. You're going to feel pressure, and that pressure is going to come from all nations, not just one nation. It's going to come from all nations. Hello? You're going to be hated for all nations, by all nations. You feel the hatred? You feel the cancel culture? It's, it's there. We're there. Why are we going to feel this? Jesus says, for my name's sake. For my name's sake. Yeah, God is love. And love means freedom to choose. You can't be forced to love God. It's a choice. And choice involves risk. There's risks involved with choice, which comes from love. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's right. Liberty is an evidence that God's spirit is among us. Praise God. We do not want to shut the door of this church to the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to be with us. We want to respect one another. Romans 14 says, you know, when you're in the faith and there's differences, differences, it's a principle here. He was talking about you know, ceremonial law and the new converts having to or not having to be circumcised and all that kind of stuff. That was the context of Romans 14. But, but the principle is when you're in the faith and there's differences, you need to let every person be fully persuaded in their own minds. Because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Conscientious conviction needs to be respected in this country and in this church. That's what the Bible teaches. But Jesus is teaching this coming a time when it's not going to be. They're going to hate you. 
They are literally gonna hate you for my name's sake, for standing up to freedom, for standing up to liberty, for standing up to conscientious conviction. They are going to hate you and then shall many be offended and betray one another. You know, to betray someone means you're connected with them previously. Betray one another and hate one another. This is where we are right now. We're in stage number one. There's three stages. We won't look at the other two right now because our time is running short. We live in a country that is Christian. One of my favorite writers calls this country Protestant America. Protestant America. That means it's a Christian nation. And some people today would say, well, it's not really a Christian nation. This was never a Christian nation. We were never supposed to be a Christian nation. Wrong. I don't think it's an issue of whether or not we're a Christian nation. I think it's an issue of understanding what a Christian nation actually looks like. Because we have the history that tells us that a Christian nation might look like Europe in the Dark Ages. But I'll tell you right now, that was not Christian. America is a Christian nation because Christ honors freedom. He honors choice. America is a Christian nation because you can live here if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. You can be here if your religion is Christianity or if your religion is Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or atheism or agnostic or anyism. You're free to live in America. That's a Christian nation. That is the very bedrock of what this country is all about. That's what Christianity is. That's what Christianity does. Jesus Christ lived this in his life. He was a Jew. We could say, let's just say, that's a Christian. But he didn't just hang out with the Jews. He hung out with the Samaritans. And he hung out with the Greeks. And he hung out with the Romans. And he did favors to all of them, the Seophanician one. He went everywhere and he hung out with everyone. He accepted all people. He gave everyone freedom and to choose, to accept or reject him. And that's what this country is really all about. Because you see, God has his people everywhere. Jesus said, I have many sheep that are not of this fold. Jesus says, there are people in Babylon, and I'm going to call them out. Romans 2 tells us that there are people that don't even know the law of God, they don't know anything about God, but their conscience becomes a law, either excusing or condemning them in the things that they do. So are we awake yet? Romans 13 tells us it's past time to get awake, to be awake, right? Romans 13 tells us It's past time to be awake. That snooze button is no longer helpful. Yeah, it might help us a little bit. We're really wiped out. 10 minutes might do it. But Romans 13 says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is, verse 12, far spent. The night is far spent. Not just spent, it's far spent. The day is at hand. So what are we going to do? I mean, what's the practical thing for us to do? Well, it says, verse 12, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, number one, and let us put on the armor of light. Off with the darkness, on with the light. And Jesus makes this clear. Did you find the little phrase of instruction? Did you find the play from the quarterback, from the coach? Did you find it there as we read through those verses in Matthew 24? It's in verse 7. Excuse me, verse 6. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's coming to us from the world, right? We hear all these wars and rumors of wars. What does the next phrase say? See that you be not troubled. That's our instruction. That's the play. 
That's the play from the quarterback. That's the instruction. Don't be troubled. Are you troubled? Are you troubled about what's... That word trouble means frightened, to frighten. Are you frightened about what could happen to you, your family, about what's coming on this planet, in our nation? Are you frightened? Of course you are. Of course we are. All of us, you know? I think Daniel had some butterflies in his stomach when they were putting him into the lion's den, right? I think the three young men, they were a little bit, little bit nervous when, when those... When those you know, strong men of Babylon all died at the entrance to the furnace as they were being pushed in. They looked back out and they were, I think they were a little nervous. There's nothing wrong with me. In fact, Jesus says, don't be frightened because he knows we will be frightened, <laughs> right? His instruction to us here is not something we're capable of accomplishing by ourselves, That's why we're part of the team. That's why we're following the playbook. And at this point, in the football game, if we're down inside the 20-yard line and we just failed on fourth down, we need to pull in the special teams. And that could be kind of scary. The game could be on the line. And when the special teams come in and they kick that punt which gets fumbled on the other end, and one of them picks it up and runs it into the end zone, we're all good. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. 1 John 4, 18 is our special teams. And what does 1 John 4, 18 say? It's a verse that we all need to memorize. 1 John 4, 18, God is love, and there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. That's the special teams, that's the play. That's what God plans to do. We can't do it, but he can do it. He can cast out all the fear. He's promised to cast out all the fear. So, so when, it, when he says here, see that you be not troubled, don't be frightened, don't be afraid, that is his play call for us to rely upon special teams, 1 John four eighteen, to go to the word of God, to remember Psalm 91, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide as in the shadow of the Almighty, to heed the call to the huddle, to get in, can you imagine being so obstinate, so stubborn, so self-dependent that the whole offensive team is huddling there around the quarterback and you're standing over there in your position thinking you know what the play is? Because that's the way some of us are. Oh, I know all the plays in the playbook. As soon as I hear him call, as soon as I see him line up, I'll know what to do. I don't need to be in the huddle. No, you need to be in the huddle. We all need to be in the huddle. We all need to privately come to Jesus. That's what it says. We need to be waking up. It's past time to wake up. We have an important engagement with Christ. We can't afford to sleep in. We need that time in the morning with Jesus. We need to connect with Christ. That snooze button is no longer helpful. It's almost time for the Lord to come. I hear the people say, Do you hear the people saying that? They're coming to 3ABN. They're coming to our churches. They're coming and they're looking. You can hear them. They're saying this. What's going on? And God wants us to be awake. It's time to get up. So what are we going to wear? Well, let's just close out with these verses in Ephesians chapter 6. Here it is. This is the connection we make. Remember, it's time for us to wake up and put on the armor of God. That's Romans chapter 13 verse 12. Cast off darkness, put on light. Well, what are we going? What's the light we're going to put on? Right? What's the light we're going to put on? Here it is. Closing verses. Verse ten, Ephesians chapter six. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of what's the next word? His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. We need to take a stand. The Bible says against the wiles of the devil. 
For we not wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is not even about governments. This is about the great controversy. This is about freedom and liberty. This is about the very principles, the very foundation of God's government. Jesus died on Calvary to preserve choice, freedom, liberty. That's why he died. Wherefore, verse 13, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So, we can stand in this evil day. We may be tired. It may be hard for us to get up because we're so tired. I've experienced that while I've been here. I've been initiated into 3ABN. Thank you, Greg and Jill. And by the way, Greg, happy birthday. We may be weary of the conflict. We may be sad about all that is beginning to happen in our country and in our world. Our hearts may be torn within our very own families. But we need to step it up, my friends. We need to step it up. We need to know God's playbook. We need to know Jesus. We need to get to know Jesus. We need to get in the huddle. (laughs) We need to press on the way to the end zone, to the blessed hope. And today I want to make a personal call for all of you who need special teams prayer this morning. Special teams prayer. There may be some people here who are prayer warriors. Just one or two people, that's all I need. Because after we're done with our closing hymn and our closing prayer, I'm going to invite you, anyone here, just to come down. Just to come down so that we can pray for you if you feel the need for prayer. If you feel the need for a little help in waking up, a little help in pressing on, I want to encourage you to come down here and I'm going to pray for you. And maybe there's a couple other people who would like to pray for you too. And Uriah Smith and then of course us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for being our quarterback, for being our coach, for sending us Jesus, for giving us a playbook, for giving us special teams, for encouraging our hearts when we're weary. When our lives and our country and our families are torn, for pointing us to the blessed hope that we have in Jesus Christ, for giving us that courage, that little bit of energy that we need right now to get out of bed, to shake off the lethargy, to get off the ship to Tarshish, to put on the armor of light, and to share the gospel of our salvation. Father, bless this church, bless the ministry of 3ABN, bless all the efforts, all the work that has been done and that is being done and that will be done. And be with each heart here this morning, Father, if there's anyone that needs a little bit of prayer, a little bit of encouragement, may they come forward right now as we pray together. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.